Welcome to episode 71 of They Think It's All Over, the Football Shirt Show. Welcome along, everybody. You will have noticed I'm not Adrian. He's not here this week. He's off sunning himself, so we don't have to listen to constant Italian football and Roma talk this week. But we do still have everybody's favourite grumpy Scotsman. Scott, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Looking forward to the break from all his Roma pish and his sarcastic commentary. <laughs> are we all? And once again, we've got... Adam, aka Poundland Pet, back. How are you, mate? Um, I'm all right. Uh, yeah, three times in a row, so my own personal treble. Um, I said last week that I told some friends that I work with that you call me Poundland Pep. I went to a wedding yesterday afternoon, well, evening, for a reception, and I told the groom and some of the other people there, and again, they literally pissed themselves. It's almost like if you have a bald head and a beard, you look like Pep, and the, the pound land just seals the deal. So thank you, Mike, for ruining my in-reality life. It means a lot. You could do with a tan, to be fair. <laughs> You're Scottish, what are you on about? At least we get some sunshine down here. Well, if there's any consolation, Adam, before we move on, I'll actually talk about football shirts, my wife refers to me as a Poundland Thor because I have a shit beard and long hair. So <laughs> I, I think you you got you got, yeah, you you got the good one, I'm afraid, mate. But anyway, so what's everyone been up to? Uh, Scott bought any new shirts recently? Got got drunk and and bought anything you didn't remember buying? No, no not this week. But I am sorely tempted by the Adidas sale that started today. There's uh, quite like the Belgian. It was funny. It was um. Kit's buyer was asking me, oh, are you going to get the Belgian shirt? <laughs> are you going to get any players on the back? And I was like, no, because I love the shirt, but I pretty much hate the entire fucking Belgian national team. So, <laughs> so I'll be getting it blank. But that might be the next, uh, the next inbound. I think we're actually going to speak about potentially why I'm not buying any shirts at the moment, but that's coming We'll not spoil that discussion. We'll get there eventually, won't we? We will, we will. Uh, I, as I saw that, I did that sale myself. I've got to be honest, I haven't picked anything up myself because, annoyingly, with the buying stuff, the only one that really went in onto a cracking price was the, not the Oktoberfest, sorry, for the Olympia Stadion shirt, uh, which I already have. So I haven't picked that one up. What about you, Adam? Anything new come in? Um, the only new shirt I have is actually one I bought off you. Oh, um, because I'm a which seller is the, now. Because you are a seller. You've sold like three or four shirts. So, you know, sell out. Um, so, yeah, you sold me <laughs> the 2010-2011 Inter Away shirt. Uh, the one with the, I forget what they call it, but the, it's not a dragon. It's a snake going down the arm. It's, uh, I believe it is the Bision, which is the Serpent of Milan. Yeah. Well, there we go. So you sold that to me for 
280 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> right, and just before we carry on from here, I can confirm that I definitely did not do that. I gave Adam a very, very, very friendly price on that one. But whilst we're talking about prices, what does everybody think? Because I buy a lot of my shirts via your secondhand market with eBay, Depop, Vinted, etc. And I think that there's been quite a steep drop in the prices. Is, is, it, is that just me or is anybody else noticing that? Well, I have, I actually have definitive proof of said drop because I, I don't know if you remember, um, I shared, so Hibs are my, my, um, the team I support in Scotland and they have some very collectible shirts from what was called the Skull Cup. So the Skull Cup, they won. And they had, it was the classic um, Adidas trefoil symbol. And I don't know if you remember, it was the green, the home and the away sort of mirrored each other. Yeah, so I the, think that's, it's quite a popular template, isn't it, that one? I think people yeah, remember that. Yeah, po- popular template, but it's because of the Skull Cup win by Hibs. It's really, really popular with, with Hibs fans and anybody that's a trefoil collector and one of them last week so i have i have both the home and away and i believe i paid uh upwards of i think i paid 316 pounds in an auction for mine so not a buy it now it was a, it was a, a bid in war and one sold last week for 161 pounds and that was at auction as well, not a buy it now. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge, you know, that's, that's a pretty much a 50% drop-off in the price of that shirt. And, I, and I, I'm seeing that a lot with lockdown prices, things that used to be, you know, above £200 all seem to be, they're either going for less in an auction or if they're buying it now, I mean, they're sitting there for months and months and just not, not moving at all yeah my experience is exactly the same as yours aside from the fact that i did not spend an awful lot of money on a hip shirt but it's <laughs> been the the drop since lockdown I, I think there's two factors firstly over lockdown we were all bored of shit so we were spending our money that we had and now none of us have any money because of the cost of living crisis and it's just been a remarkable downturn so some of my recent purchases the most expensive one i got the usa 94 way shirt it's a shirt i already have but i got the the player version which is based on the american um design that they actually wore whereas the european one that you normally see has the stars on the wrong side and it was a hundred pounds so in in contrast to that i bought the European version of that USA 94 away um, not quite in lockdown maybe shortly after and I paid just shy of 200 pounds for it so that that shows the the difference in in prices for itself yeah that's that's crazy really it's about 50 percent again isn't it yeah, yeah it's, it's absolutely remarkable some of the drops some of my other recent ones um i actually oddly enough got you a shirt mike we did a secret santa not so long ago and Mm. a shirt that i bought for myself um was the rather rare usa 2007 copper america third kit 
to put it in your mind. It's a blue shirt with thin white pinstripes. Absolutely love it. Great big badge. And I paid about £70 for it, and I got it for you for 25 which is a huge drop. And exactly the same size, because we're both tiny men. Other shirts <laughs> I picked up in like last year, the Sweden 96 to 98 home shirt, 29.99, And also one of our favourite shirts, Mike, it's the, uh, the Germany 1992 home from Euro 92. I got that for, according to my eBay, £30 with £2.15 postage. Absolutely ridiculous prices. Clearly, there are still bargains to be had. Anyway, let's get on to the news. Arsenal have released their brand new home shirt. I have to say, I think it's the weakest of their home shirts so far, but it's still a very nice shirt. And it has some lovely extra details on it. Along the sides, embossed on the player spec one, are the sequence of results from their Invincible season, except, for some reason, Adidas have missed off some of the results. There's only 32 games on there. So they have the W, the Ds for the wins and the draws, and there's only 32. There are two draws and two wins missing from the end of the sequence, and there are two random wins from the middle where they, I think they went on a run of like nine wins in a row, and they've only put seven on there or something like that. And they've really mucked up. And this was spotted on Twitter, and suddenly a lot of people were checking their shirts and going, well, maybe it's only on like the small men's shirt or the medium men, and then if you get the longest shirts, it'll be on there. Nope. Every single new player spec Arsenal home shirt is missing some of these results and I don't think there's been a thing as big as this since what was it Atalanta who had the Turin skyline on one of their shirts or something once (laughs) um, which was a major major but but honestly I mean I don't think it's as bad as that because that'd be like Leeds United having the Manchester skyline on their shirt like it's it's atrocious but it is an oversight and when you are spending 130 for a shirt without printing short sleeve because the staging version doesn't have these details so you have to spend the more money to get the details and they've got it wrong so eek that's mental isn't it for such a big manufacturer to to literally and it's the it's not the main feature but obviously with it being dedicated to that and an intricate detail and how i mean how well but how, it's also how did that slip it, it's for Arsenal fans, like every team has their thing that they're really proud about. As a Liverpool fan, you know, it's like having like the six European Cups is something that means a lot. For Arsenal, that invincible season is the thing that they can go, we have done this and no one else has done this. And they've messed it up. So it makes you think that there has to be, and it's, it's not going to be a shock, but there has to be non-football fans, you know, working around that and just or not Man even... United fans. Yeah, we're designing yeah. it. Yeah, but you know, to it, to somebody that must have just have been WDs, and they didn't, they didn't either know the reference or care, or they were just given a task to do, and somehow it's it's not gone through a proper a process of somebody checking the work. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. I'm sorry. It's hilarious <laughs> and madness. You know, maybe maybe we'll see. Uh, a shirt that it, maybe it's corrected and maybe these ones will become valuable as 
that often happens in shirt collecting. But anyway, on to the next piece. Scott, you have some news about Barcelona. Yeah, so this isn't new news. It's just confirmed news. So we reported on the pod um, that there was a leak, that there was going to be a secret hidden detail in the new Barcelona badge. And after they released their very dull, would you agree, home shirt this year? Not the, the colours are slightly dulled and it's a bit, it's the new Nike template and it's just a bit meh. But the cool thing is, is that they have in fact included the, um, the hidden diamond in the badge. And with the, certainly with the player spec, I've, I've not had a chance to peruse the stadium version, but it looks very nice because it's got the, the heat pressed badge on the player version, so you can see that with a plastic material, you can, in certain lights, you can see that triangle. But it is, of course, a, a tribute to the women's team, and that's actually a really interesting story. So if anybody feels like either listening back to when we reported that or, or having a read about it, it's all about the women's journey, about how you know they were formed in 1970, but it wasn't until 2002 that they became a part of the club. And they're obviously a very successful uh, women's team in the world game. And they had a, yeah, they had a very cool diamond across their, the old retro badge. And uh, yeah, that, so that has been confirmed and it is included in the new Barcelona home shirt, which is probably the best bit about the shirt. Yeah, I've seen, I, I do, yeah, I think it looks quite good to be fair. It's, it's, a ni- it's nice to give the acknowledgement as well and to, to see that happening. So yeah, but let's, I wonder, I'm sure it'll look quite good on their new kit as well, to be fair. So we may as well go on to the quickfire new releases as well then. So you guys done your homework ready for this? You've got your three words ready for each kit we're going to throw at you? Scott's looking Probably. a little bit like he might have. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's looking like a little like a man who's looking at the pictures now of the kits that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> well, fortunately, this week I get away with it a little bit. So yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be firing the kits at you, and you guys can tell me what you think. So I'm gonna start off with. Porto now they've released their home away in third so I think we're going to do each one so let's start with a home so Scott we'll start with you Porto home standard Porto home Adam it's all right <laughs> fair enough uh we will go Porto away Scott what color is that I believe it's called Ecru if we're going back to the uh, really? the Liverpool away shirt days but um yeah interesting asymmetrical collar two that was two big words in the three there well i'm a librarian you know (laughs) back to scott for the porto third good amount of gold really like it fair enough there uh uh, scott back to you for the al salvador away shirt i'm just trying to compress my thoughts into three words 90s training wear-esque natty collar cuffs uh we will go next to the St. Etienne away. Fucking beautiful. Hummel, we get it. You like the Denmark shirts. God. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's more than three words. It's a nice shirt, but honestly, we get it. You like your history. They are certainly making the most of their uh, retro shirts, aren't they? So we will then go back to Scott 
for the Celtic away? I have two thoughts. One, who fucking cares? Two, classy but plain. I would go for plain but classy. Switching it up there. (laughs) And we'll come back to Scott for the Swansea away. Another asymmetrical colour. Lovely colour. Next up's the Mallorca. It's a special edition shirt that will be worn just for their final game of the season. Still a template. Horrible. Ketchup, mustard. (laughs) Nice. Nice use of your three words. Scott, the Real Madrid home shirt. Absolute perfection. It is actually really good, isn't it? Um, Just really good. Nice yellow. Yeah, it's a Six good one. Six out of ten. <laughs> it, it, it is a good one. Just as, as a side note, I did see someone, I can't recall who it was, but claimed that it's the greatest football shirt of all time on social media this week. But I did see that, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one. On to the Barcelona home. Boring. Better up close. Then we're going to go to France with the RC Lens home. What the fuck? Do you not like it? I really like this it, one. It's just a complete stromash of you got the block sleeves and then the funny stripes by the shoulders and then the big plain bit in the middle. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. It's like a shit Doppler effect t-shirt. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say nice sleeves and side bits. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> I just like it. Um, well, am I right in thinking this is the shirt that a random fan wore as well? Did you see this? No. So for this shirt, to advertise it, they got a random fan to wear it at one of their home games just randomly before it was released and then he was photographed and he was just wearing it around the stadium so other fans could see it to see if they would notice he was wearing the brand new shirt and then they took loads of photos of him celebrating and they're like, oh by the way, this random guy was wearing the shirt at the stadium and none of you noticed it. Well, clearly RC Lions oh. don't have many shirt collectors in their fan base, do they? Because <laughs> that's <laughs> something we would have picked up on. So on to the next one. And by the way, just, just before I move on, Adam, I'm with you. I really like that one. Uh, we are going to go to Scotland with the Queen of the South away shirt. Front is glorious. It's like carpet. <laughs> you know what? I I see a rug in there on that one. To be honest, yep, yep, right. And I, it's per, per, it perfectly is like a rug because there's a fucking plain back as well. Just like rugs still have patterns on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and we are gonna finish up on the Partick Thistle away kit, nineties festival t-shirt. I'm gonna say hypercolor. Do you remember those T-shirts, the hyper-colour ones in the 90s that showed your sweat in different colours? <laughs> yeah. Which is those, a bit like what you said, like, yeah, it, it just looks like that. Brilliant. Hyper-colour. Good stuff. Right, so that wraps up the news and quick-fire releases. And like we, like AD said last week, if we miss any kits, if anybody wants us to speak about any in particular, just drop us a message on the DMs or an email. So next is our feature we have quite an interesting one for everybody so adrian and tom spoke to philip o'rourke about forgotten football clubs this week we are delighted to welcome philip and rory from the forgotten football clubs podcast rory you present it alongside philip philip you wrote the book forgotten football clubs so welcome both to the pod cheers lads 
Good to be here. Yeah, thanks very much for having us on. Quite excited. <laughs> hey, we love chatting football. We're very much looking forward to this. And I've read the book as well. Then listen to a few of the podcasts. Really looking forward to getting stuck into today. Why didn't you tell us, Philip, what inspired you to write the book? So I started off with a blog uh, back in 2019, predominantly League of Ireland clubs, or former League of Ireland clubs uh, at the time. The catalyst was probably Spartan Fingal, who I used to follow as a lad uh, when I was 18, uh, 19, going all around Ireland, following in the first division, and of course they got promoted. They are the first chapter of the book. I had to do it. Uh, I'm from that area. It's my own. Well, was my own club, and all my mates and stuff like that. They wouldn't forgive me if I if I didn't put them in. And my dad wouldn't forgive me either. He was a a big fan. He had great memories following around for their four short years. After going doing like the Irish clubs, kind of just expanded like Ireland from the UK. Then I started doing European clubs. So it it just grew from that. And yeah, the book came out in February. It's a proud moment. I, I really like how the whole idea kind of stemmed from something so personal. For someone that isn't aware, can you tell us the story behind Sporting Fingal and, and why they have disappeared, unfortunately? The story of Sporting Fingal, without getting ge- geographic about it, Fingal is a county. There's 32 counties in Ireland. Obviously, six are in Northern Ireland and all that. Um, but Fingal, there's actual county Fingal. They're they're like it's like they're the unofficial thirty third county of Ireland. There's a population of two hundred fifty thousand people in it. Now it's North Dublin. It's right beside Dublin Airport. So if you've ever been to Ireland, you would have come into Dublin Airport. If you go left, that's basically Swords. That's where I'm from. That's the capital of Fingal, and that's the Fingal area. So the plan was to bring a football club there. Because, you know, 250,000 people without a football club. The closest football club to me is about an hour's bus journey, which is Talca Park to Shelburne on a Friday night. You know, it's quite busy. So the idea was, yeah, to set up this football club and and get the communities, the different towns in the Fingal area to get behind it. Liam Buckley was the manager and Conan Bourne, who was one of the players, but he was also like a kind of like... Um, supporters liaison managing director kind of sort of thing uh, so they met with us in swords and i always remember the meeting uh, they, they basically said they they wanted to promote players from local schoolboy uh, clubs into the team so if you think about it, it was kind of like an electrical bell situation where it was only players from the fingal area were going to play in for fingal uh, is that that's how Gaelic football works as well, isn't it? You have to live. Is that right? You have to live in the county to play for the yeah, team. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the real basically. You have to live in the county, or you have to be from the county. I think also you can work in the county. Not not hundred, but it is like that. Yeah, it's a hundred percent like that. It's a real kind of way of getting the community together. Um, and it was something that I was like, yeah, I was eighteen at the time, and I love football, but. It was very hard to support a football club if they're like an hour away from you. And that's a problem over here in League of Ireland because, you know, clubs aren't in every county. So Fingal, Liam Buckley basically gave the plan. They also said they were going to get Europe within five years. Now, that was a bit of a, we all thought that was a pipe dream, to be honest. You're kind of going, a new club, Europe, all right, lads, calm it down. But they did, they, they got it. <laughs> in their short history, they did get uh, Europa League football and they played Maritimo just because they won the FAI Cup. The domestic cup over here in Ireland, they won in dramatic fashion, winning 2 1 against Sligo Rovers. But that was a great moment. Then we got promoted up to the Premier. But things things kind of unraveled then because they also was a Spartan Fingal where not entirely funded by the Fingal County Council. They also had an owner called Jerry Gannon, who was a property developer basically. In around 2008, 2009, as we all know, the recession hit and he got hit big time. 
uh, a team, uh, a company, or not a company, a kind of state-owned team called Nama over here in Ireland, was going around taking assets off property developers who had gone bankrupt. So he had to basically sell off all his assets and stuff. Uh, unfortunately, Swan Finger was one of his assets, but didn't have a lot of money in it. <laughs> so there was no point in Nama taking it. But he pulled out altogether, couldn't pay the players' wages at the time as well. There was a few teams going on. They had signed when they got to the Premier. They kind of they they went against what they had told us, and they started signing players like Glenn Crow, who was in his thirties, big league of Ireland player, uh, played for Bowes. He, he got an Ireland international uh, cap, um, but he was in his, you know, he was done basically. Uh, they signed him. Uh, they signed Eamon Zaid, uh, Libyan international. Uh, but these lads weren't playing for free. I was working for Extra Time uh, an Irish website over here, and uh, I researched that and I got my hands on their wage slips. Don't ask me how, but uh, <laughs> I did. And the wages that were given to them weekly. So, for example, one of them was on fourteen hundred a week. One thing, I oh, were getting five hundred fans, maybe home fans again, and uh, and that was like a tenner a pop. So yeah. you do the maths. I called it, I said it to the sports groups, I even said it to my dad and all, and I was like, look, this is going to go pear-shaped. It's, it's, this is the way it's going. I know, we'll be grand. We won the FAI Cup, we're in Europe, that'll pay for it all. And it didn't. In the end, Derry Gannon pulled out, uh, the Fingal County Council decided they didn't want to keep going with it. There was an attempt by Conan Byrne, who was uh, Fingal legend, League of Ireland legend, really, to try to get the fans to buy the club but I think they were asking for like 250 quid and as I said a recession hit nobody had a penny in their pocket and unfortunately Swarton Fingal uh, disbanded and that, that was it it was four short sweet years you know Europe football FAI Cup uh, promotion but um, yeah unfortunately they've been gone now I think that's 12 years now 12 years 14 years yeah it's a crazy story. I mean, 2007 to 2011, I believe they were active. And to have won a trophy in that time is pr- is pretty impressive. I mean, Spurs are over 100 years old, and that's one more than they've ever got. Oh, so it's... Tom. <laughs> um, Don't worry about Tom. Another pod, another fan group alienated. But um... <laughs> Interesting, they, they immediately started signing players from outside of Fingal then. When they got promoted, they did, yeah. Players like even Ronan Finn, who's the captain of Shamrock Rovers now, he's on the front of the book here. He played for Sporting Fingal. They had big players. Sean Williams, uh, who's over in England, uh, he also got Irish caps. He played for Millwall, Portsmouth, MK Dons. He played for Sporting Fingal. Yeah, there, there, there was a good few of them. Yeah, when they got promoted, it was kind of like, oh, we need to get a load of, uh, you know, really experienced players in here or we're going to get relegated. I mean, I would have just taken relegation. Like League of Ireland, it's funny like that. You can get relegated and you'll be back up the season after like because it's only two tiers like of what 10 and 10 so it's not like there's millions of clubs and you're going to get swallowed up like yeah well it's one of those like you say it's a crash and burn culture at the time in terms of the financial situation people people not everybody listening will remember it back then but it was bad everywhere and it's particularly bad in Ireland and if he was into property I guess that was the funding funding gone so that was I guess that was the reason for one club gone but um yeah parted after four years and what a meteoric rise Rory there's a couple of other stories in, in the book that I personally really liked people now collect Italian football shirts and I think the Chisena one really really stood out to me so maybe you could just tell us a bit about that one yeah, so um, Chisena's a really, really interesting one for a couple of reasons. Obviously, like I, I quite enjoy Italian football and you see these stories come up all the time, especially with some of the lower league clubs. And, and obviously we know currently what's happening with Juventus and what has happened with Juventus, um, what's happened to teams like Parma, 
Monzo who are coming up to Salernitana. The finances are uh, interesting to say the least. <laughs> but what was interesting with this uh, Chisina team in this one, there's a lot of people who are quite keen to cling on to this idea that, oh, well, you know, our, our club isn't gone, it's still there, we're, we're still the same team, we have the same name. But it's like, yeah, that's the case, and, and we get that, but the point isn't that these clubs are forgotten by any means, because they're not. The point is that this entity that once was a club done something that's worth telling a story about and it was exactly the same with this Chisena team because I mean, we're talking when were they founded? 1973 originally called uh, Paula Sportiva Mar- Martirano I think uh, is the way you pronounce it, uh, if you've listened to the pod then you'll know that me and Phil's pronunciation <laughs> are absolutely uh, brutal. <laughs> you're on a power base don't worry. They, they were kind of fumbling about in the smaller, well, not the smaller, in the lower tiers of Italian football for a bit. And they finally got promoted to uh, Serie C in 2012-2013. But things, I think, from the start were already, not, not sort of going downhill, but things were already a little bit iffy. Because they had one of these rises that, you know, they started going up and up and up and they started doing really, really well. And you know that when a small team does that, if they're not able to manage it, correctly then it can go badly very very quickly and and I think that's in my opinion that's more or less what happened with Chisena. There was a number of businessmen kind of involved with it as well and they were circling around the team and and they were looking to get involved in it but um, the other team in Chisena at the time actually went bankrupt as well which probably helped the case a little bit because they were called AC Chisena. They then wanted to change their name to, uh, to Chisena FC despite the fact that Chisena SC had already existed in another sort of entity. So, you know, you've got all these sort of overlapping areas and, and different things going on. And you, you kind of look at it sometimes and you're like, well, this, this is just a bit of a mess, really. Yeah, and you get that a lot in Italian football. I think that for me, the really interesting yeah. thing about Chisena particularly, and we'll probably, let's talk as well afterwards about Palermo, because I think they're two different instances. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Chisena one, I mean it was a completely different club that was running in parallel that then just decided that had been established that then decided to change its name to the other Chisena when that Chisena went bust. So, I mean, to me, it's black and white, but I know from from Italian supporters perspective, it's, um, it, it could be passionate. I know, Philip, I think you had some issues like that in terms of the, <laughs> doing your research for the book as well. Yeah, um, I mean, Chisena weren't, weren't, uh, weren't the worst for, for that. Uh, when I was talking to some fans of certain clubs, like, I mean, there's some certain clubs that didn't make the book because uh, I felt it would cause a bit too much controversy. I didn't want, you know, one club getting too much more attention than the others. I wanted it to be a you know fair scale. Um, but certain parts of the world do cause more controversial opinions or the fans are more passionate about their clubs and where they come from um as Robbie rightly said forgotten clubs isn't literally we're not you know discovering clubs football clubs around the world forgotten clubs is just a name that like you know it's just a catchy name it's, it's about uh, uncovering these stories that people may or may not have heard and we're just here to tell them the only criteria really is, is that the club has had to have changed from their original identity that's it. Elt Susana were a club, and I was helped with this uh, by my good friend um, Bence, who worked on the on the pod, or not on the pod, on the blog. Pardon me, Bence actually uh, is a Hungarian lad, mad into his football history. He actually runs a Twitter account, Luxembourg Footy. Yeah, he got me in touch with the with the fans. There was actually the, the interview that I have in the Susana one. I actually had two. There was another one. His name, though, he wouldn't give his name. He, he called himself the black and white skin. Now, he was grand. The interview was okay, but I just got a, got a feeling that he was 
rough around the edges. Am I to say that? <laughs> Can I say that? Um, and and that that's the reason why I didn't include it in the book. But he was very passionate, you know, as as most Italian fans are about their club. But he was he was quite adamant that Cesena were not a forgotten club. That they've always been Cesena, and nothing like while they've had their financial difficulties, they were always that that club, and there was no no difference. But um, I'd have to disagree with him. <laughs> that's why they're in the book. I suppose it's not not to go off on a tangent just quickly, but when I read the Chisena story, it reminded me a lot of Clyde Bank and what happened to Clyde Bank in Scotland, because there were several several instances of a Clyde Bank team existing, and you had Clyde Bank East Stirlingshire for a bit, and at one point they were going to be moving to Dublin, and obviously when the time came when they folded, Airdrie United folded at the same time, they bought Clyde Bank, they moved Clyde Bank's assets to a new stadium in Airdrie, and then renamed themselves Airdrieonians, but it's like, if we wanted to talk about a forgotten club, and we were talking about Clyde Bank, would we then lump Airdrie Onions in with that? Probably not, because they are ultimately two different clubs, so you always need to look at it as a, a kind of case-by-case basis and, and stuff like that. But the Chisena one, obviously, it had, was, was quite a bit different in the way it happened, but you know, you always look out for similarities, and there's a lot of common themes that you can mm. pick out from them. I find it interesting with Chisena, because I know AD is really keen to talk about Palermo, yeah, the club that he follows in particular but I mean Chisena you know we're talking about a team that was in Syria they had some really big players Adrian Mutu who were like Dario Hoopner, Kendreva, Massimo Ambrosini like this is not a lower level kind of side there was big money here at one point and I mean is it fair to say that with a lot of these clubs that end up disappearing it's because they just go a little bit too fast and too hard financially is that fair? Yeah, uh, they basically run before they can walk. That's the phrase that I always use. It's the same way you're saying who were um, a bigger club, but it's also the same as Spartan Fingal, who would have been a smaller club. They they tried to run before they could walk. It's kind of like they're trying to play catch up with all the big boys. It just isn't sustainable. Unless you have a sugar daddy that's literally has signed a contract that he's never going to leave and he's going to be there forever, or he's an actual super fan. On the other side of things... It- almost very nearly happened to Sunderland not too long ago because they went down the league so quickly. And I remember I was working in sales at the time and a close associate of mine, he uh, actually had a contract with Sunderland. So he went down to meet with them and speak to them. And that was just after they'd been relegated to League One. And they basically told him, like, we, we need as much money as we can possibly get because we've had to adapt in two seasons from basically having a Premier League infrastructure and wage budget to League One infrastructure and league budget and we, we've not been able to keep up with it so it, it can happen to teams whichever way they're going um, if there's not the things in place to keep them sustainable then the likelihood is they will end up crashing so it's it, it is quite sad to say but it, it can happen really really quickly yeah there's, I mean there's so many examples throughout this book and the good thing is that in terms of reading it there's different bite-sized stories as well some are obviously longer than others because there's more history to tell and things like that but it's a great book to sort of pick up and put down and, and dip into Tom I'm sorry I'm going to go back to Italian because I've got to go back to Palermo sorry and there is a distinct line between Palermo now and Palermo five years yeah. ago do you want to share with people exactly what happened because I don't think people do know what happened particularly they knew the financial issues but I don't think they knew about the points penalty the appeal and then the, the, the should we, we'll call it admin so I don't give the game away in terms of what happened Palermo they, they actually they actually went 
went bust a few times in their history. It's not, it wasn't just the, the one, the recent one that most people are probably most familiar with. They have done throughout history and kind of just kept coming back and just being resurrected again. Like, I mean, they were founded, you know, 1898. So you're, you're talking well over 100 years. So they are a, a well-established club. If you take it from 1898, which I'm sure a lot of Palermo fans will say, that's when they started and that's the club that they support today. Uh, unfortunately, that's not fact. <laughs> I just have to say, I'm not... It's the same family tree, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. They first went bust, I think, it was in the early 1900s, so around World War I, um, and they didn't come back until 1919. Again, no real player, my fan is going to say, oh, yeah, we began in 1919. But that was the first time that they, they became a forgotten club, if you like. Again, World War One had, had a lot to do with it. They, they played in the lower leagues uh, for a lot of their time. Uh, it wasn't up until kind of more modern day football that they kind of uh, erupted into a kind of a, a bigger club, if you know what I mean, or played in the higher leagues. Um, but that still didn't stop them from going bust uh, when when they did. Kind of like, I don't want to give a comparison to the Juventus story, because uh, Juventus are, are a unique club in their own way, but Palermo and their history was shrouded in. Now, I, I didn't go into this in the book too much, because it, it sounds like a different story altogether with the Mafia and stuff like that, um, but they were highly involved in, in stuff with Palermo. Um, so you went into just the right amount of detail, yeah. not to go into too much detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll cut all this out for your own safety, Philip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't want to go too much into it, but there, there was the, them sort of shenanigans, let's say, uh, going on with the club. Uh, there was there was money laundering, all that kind of malarkey going on in the background, and I can only assume that that uh, attributed to Palermo's uh, downfall. So, so right, eighteen nineteen, they were in Serie B. They just actually missed out on promotion to Serie A. But then they got hit with a financial penalty that meant they had to be relegated to see. They appealed it, had it reduced to a 15-point penalty, got told they could play in Serie B, got asked for the paperwork that hadn't renewed their insurance. Is that right, Rory? So the league went, off you go. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to need to watch what I say here. Just, I mean, it's well, listen, it's Phillips neck in the line, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll maybe just say what I want. Uh, it's his name that's on the book. Yeah, so... I think officially, if you like, that's how the story goes, or that's certainly the more kind of popular line that's towed with it. But there's certainly there's a lot of theories, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of smoke and mirrors around that as well. So you know, they they, they say that the, the, there was an error with the paperwork, or there was an, an admin issue, or, or something along those lines. But I mean, personally, what what I think happened is that they didn't submit it because they knew. They were doomed, basically. Um, that that's what I personally think. But it wouldn't be fun if we didn't go into some of the other bizarre theories. So, um, obviously, Phil mentioned the mafia. That that was something that that was something that a lot of people thought that, they were. That, that's Phil, yeah, Rory, not you. That's Phil. That that is, um, that that is Phil from Ireland, not Rory from Scotland. Um, but yeah, so people did say that they were that they were they were involved in it and they were causing all sorts of things. People said it was money laundering. People said it was coming from the top down and that they wanted Palermo to be the first example that they made. Um, obviously, because Juventus and and the kind of scandal around that was happening at the same time, 
some people think that they, they, they targeted Juventus and then Palermo so they could get two different sides of the spectrum almost, um, just to show that any club can be hit by this. Some people were saying that the people who were, were doing this that it, it, when it came from top down, sorry, this is like a theory within a theory. This is how much it spirals. That They wanted to do this because they were trying to save their own necks as well. Uh, because obviously, as we know, a lot of the Italian FA officials and a lot of other authorities as well caught out within this scandal so a lot of people were saying that they were doing this to try and divert attention and say oh no you know we are we're doing our jobs we're keeping on top of everything um so i mean there's there's so much about it there's there's so many theories and it's very very interesting there's even i can't can't remember exactly what it was because it was a while ago and it was my friend that told me about it but there was a theory that linked what happened to palermo to what happened to rangers and there was some mysterious connection there as well really really bizarre and i'll have to look that one out and and send it to you guys later because it it was so far-fetched and and wild and i don't believe it myself the thing with palermo as well was just when a club starts change ownership quite frequently uh, you you know there's something wrong, like you know you know there's something definitely wrong. And with Palermo there when they went bust in 2019, the more recent, there was an awful lot of that switching around. Like there was an English businessman, um, who took over, uh, Richardson, I think his name is, or Richardson. He came in, he promised them the moon, the stars, the sun, everything, and then they they weren't signing players at all. Uh, the fans kind of were like, hang on, you're after telling us that, you know, everything's grand. Why are we not signing players? Um, any football club fan base would be going, why are we not signing players? He, it became evident then that he wasn't all that cracked up to be. He uh, pulled out. Uh, then somebody else came in. They looked at it and they said, this is a disaster. Uh, and, and we weren't told this it was this bad. Uh, so they pulled out. Another, thing, another group came in called Arcus, I think it was, came in. They bought them, but by that time, it seemed like Palermo were, were done, the writing was on the wall. And then, of course, all that financial regu- regulator stuff. When when they didn't have the insurance, I think the FIG were like, we got you. <laughs> and that's it, you're that gone. They didn't even give them a chance. You know, it was kind of like they walked up to the building and they didn't have, like, one piece of the paperwork, and that was it. If they weren't given a chance, you know, given a week or something like that to get it. No, good luck, he's are out. And then, of course, they, they've been uh, resurrected again as a Phoenix club. Uh, interesting enough, this time when they were resurrected there more recently by the mayor, Leo Luca Orlando, he was the mayor of uh, Palermo or mayor of that area. He actually called them a Phoenix club, which they never done before. As I said, the fans have always maintained their, their original Palermo from 1898. Uh, but he actually did call them a Phoenix club. So he, he's resurrected them of writing. So what? I stopped writing about Palermo probably last summer. So um, I'm not too sure how they're getting on this this time. But they are, are going back up the league. I think they're in Serie B at the moment. Yeah, they um, are. They're challenging for the playoffs. And actually, they've just been bought by the City group as well this yeah. year. So, I mean... Yeah, so they've been bought by them. Yeah, the, 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 very interesting club, a club that just kept going in and out, in and out, in and, out, and they just kept trying. Um, but it's mad because they have a big fan base, they have quite a, a big following, even in not just in Sicily, but in mainland Italy around the, the south, because there's not very many southern Italian clubs. Napoli would be obviously one of the bigger ones, uh, Bari, Lecce. Um, but other than that, you're, you're, you're struggling to find a, a lot of uh, southern clubs. So Palermo, where you know, are one of the bigger boys, really, yeah? I think the only other one that I know from that area is um, Cascenza. I think they're they're right on the south coast. Um, you're right, there's definitely not many down that area, and they, they have a huge fan base, but it's like Phil said there, they kept trying, and, and it, but it just seemed like it was this constant thing 
that was hanging over the club at all times because I don't think it's something that Italian football has really shaken off altogether. One interesting thing that I would encourage yourselves and and uh, any of the listeners to read into if they haven't already is why Italian clubs change their badges so many times because there's there's really really interesting stories and rabbit holes you can go into regarding that. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that you're saying that about the crests and it kind of feeds into what a lot of our listeners will be interested in. And that's the, the kits of these clubs. And of course, mm. with forgotten football clubs, you have a whole array of forgotten football kits too, which is obviously a terribly sad thing. But just kind of thinking a little bit from my side as like a football shirt collector, these clubs, when they are gone, when they go bust, when they go bankrupt, does that mean that, well, obviously these shirts are going to be a lot harder to come by, but does that make them more valuable do you think they're like relics or their history and ways for these clubs to not be forgotten aren't they i think i think it can depend on the club and i think it can depend i think it can depend on the size of the club and i don't mean that as an insult to anyone because anyone who follows any team thinks their team's the biggest and i understand that and and that's fine but if for example you have a club that's maybe in the lower reaches of italian football and then they go bust, but they had a small fan base, then yes, that kit will be maybe popular amongst that fan base, but for maybe like a neutral shirt collector, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be um, expensive or that it's going to be really sought after. It might make it very, very difficult to get if you really, really wanted one, but it might not be as popular. But then that's where shirt design comes in. I think the design aspect plays into that quite a lot, especially if if they're a modern team. However, the further back you go, then the more sought after they become. Like Third Lanark, probably the most well-known forgotten Scottish club. They went bust in 1967. That's when they folded and their kits are like gold dust and they, they sell for upward, upwards of two or £3,000 in some cases. Wow. Um, it's a lot of money, but obviously it's because they're old. That's in the days where, um, you know, replica kits, even just getting your hands on a kit was something that, that was a bit of a luxury. Not everyone could afford them. So the majority of them going around are, are match-worn still as well. So, you know, there's mm. there's different elements that you kind of have to take into consideration, I think, when, when you're talking about forgotten kits, if you like. I mean, Philip, just adding on to that as well, Sporting Fingal, yep. they were manufactured by O'Neill's. Do you have any of their kits? Are their kits hard to come by? I was actually the first ever person to own a Sporting Fingal jersey. I have their jersey and I have their scarf. No way. Um, yeah, yeah, I do with them. I have the home kit. It's, uh, it was the black and green one. Sporting Fingal are one of the more popular clubs out of the forgotten clubs out of Ireland. There's 42 in total. Sporting Fingal would have gained a lot of a lot of traction, mainly because a lot of people were delighted that they went, because <laughs> they were actually known as a Sporting franchise. They were seen as a kind of, you know, Jerry Gannon, Rich Boy, just kind of just a toy kind of thing. That's the way we were looked at. But that wasn't the case. Like we were trying to be a community club, but uh, unfortunately, all the old school clubs like Shells and Bowes and Rovers just weren't having any of it. Mainly because we were probably going to move in and take all their fans away. But uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, uh, in, in regards to other kids in Ireland, though, there's not, like, I mean, Limerick are the most recent one, Limerick FC are the most recent club to go bust. I'd say there's a few of their kids still floating about in Limerick, because that's only about two, three years. Then you like, you have Kildare, uh, Monaghan, Kilkenny. If if there is any kids around, they're probably lying in attics, to be honest. Um, like, you wouldn't get many League of Ireland wearing jerseys around Ireland anyway. 
I just realised, well, we spoke earlier because AD's dug out his Chisena kit and I said, I don't have a kit from a forgotten football club. And talking just then about, you know, you're saying what kind of club sport you think of, I've realised I do have one. I have an Anshi Machakala kit with Etu on the back. There you go. Could have got one out and I forgot. They're only recent. I think they're only 2021, 20, 22, isn't it? That they went, yeah. The Chinese club, Jisung, Jiangsung. You can buy their kit yeah. on Nike. Uh, sorry, yeah, and it's only about 40 quid, but their kit, it's a blue kit, they only went bust uh, recently as well, I think just 2020, yeah, you can buy, and they actually won the league that year, and then they went bust, the other ones, I mean, you can buy, you'll probably buy a Gratte KK, uh, Chester, Aldershaw, they're all still around. The two that I've seen recently, there's a um, Chivas USA, uh, mm. one of their jerseys, I think it was from 2007, 2008, I saw one of those floating around, yeah. and for the first time in quite a long time actually, I saw a Gretna kit as well. Um, original right. Gretna wasn't being sold for very much which I was quite surprised by but again because I think a Phoenix club um, was founded pretty much straight after it I, I don't know I'd, I'd need to have a quick look at them to, to see what changes were made in the design but it may, I mean listen maybe the person was just looking to sell one but yeah I mean th- those are the two that I saw quite recently and I, I, I thought about the Gretna one actually but it was I think it was like a 4XL or something so <laughs> For the collection not to wear. There must be a few others in the book because there's, there's Finn Power in Finland as well, which is which is relatively yeah. recent. But but your book and your and your podcast goes all over the world. I mean, we're talking Poland, Belarus, Brazil, Argentina, Australia, Japan, Albania, Iceland. I mean, it's literally a, a, a globe trotting story, and there's just all these different stories to tell. So um, we don't want to give too much away. But are there, are there any? real standout stories amongst all of those 50 that are in the book and, and you probably got we've already probably discussed some teams that you can start a second book soon but mm. are there any standout ones there you just think yeah that's a story that as i uncovered it i just thought wow yeah. it's always struck a chord you know probably two that i can think of on my mind and there are two that we've already covered on the podcast uh, me and rory have covered uh cf reyes or a club that really did struck a chord because it it, it showed the, the real murky side of of football. Uh, even though they weren't, they didn't play La Liga. The article and it was just La Liga, the club that La Liga killed. And when you look into it and and all that, now we didn't get too much into it in the book because of legal reasons and stuff like that. But when you look into the story and if you listen to our podcast episode on it with Paul, it's quite outstanding. There's a lot of kind of backstabbing and and stuff like that. It, it really like is like a soap opera. Uh, that was one story um, that really kind of struck out to me because as well, they were they were just a community club. They weren't something that they weren't trying to become, you know, bigger than Barcelona or anything like that. But they were they were treated like, you know, not very well, in my opinion. Um, like most of the clubs, the reason why they've gone, you know, I don't want to say they deserve to go, but, you know, it's because of an owner's being acting in the maggot or he's run away. CF Reyes... It just felt you just felt a little bit bad on their fans because it was kind of like taken away from them altogether. Uh, the other story that really stuck out with me as well was uh, another one that we covered on a podcast, uh, FC Jokery, mainly because of the, this fan base that they had, the one six six percent boys or the hundred sixteen percent boys, just completely got intrigued by them. Um, they went to West Ham and and they caused a bit of mischief over in London. Uh, they 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 basically went around Finland just causing murder. Uh, and and they weren't like 
they were a football team or football firm, but they stood for a little bit more than that. And again, in the book, I don't go really into it because it's a political kind of thing. But on the podcast, we do talk about me and Rory. They were kind of used as like puppets for the, the bloke that owned them. He was a politician, businessman. And the way, the best way to kind of explain it is he unleashed his pack of dogs and kind of just let them go. And then when they did fold, he turned on them like you wouldn't believe. Like he was like, oh, we can't even get five lads in our amount of fans that I have fingers on my hand and all this. And you were kind of going, you were the one that set all this up and he kind of unleashed mayhem and a bit like they were kind of like Spartan Fingal in a way they won the Finnish Cup they got into Europe and then they were gone as quick as they came so there was a quite a, a bit of a good person there but them two clubs definitely stood out I think and and one that I'm I'm really excited to, to cover on the podcast uh, was a Turkish team that was com- yeah the book. it was a uh, Kayseri Ekriyespor I'm going to say yeah um uh, obviously, they they, they kind of they were founded off the back of a merger between four teams, and they ended up getting promoted to the Super League. But then, I think it was two thousand four, two thousand five. It says in the book, for for some reason, um, Ekriyespor decided with the second team that was in the city of Kayseri. Both teams decided to swap their names, their chairman and their managers. Yeah, <laughs> like, presumably Mental. players and the rest of the teams yeah. staying there. And then Kriyaspor get relegated four seasons in a row. They drop into the amateur leagues, and then they and then they fold. And I, <laughs> I was just reading it, and obviously it's it's sad and it's a shame, and and it's sad for the fans. But I was reading it, and I was like, that is one of the wildest things I have that ever was, read. That was a club that I remember writing about. I was working nights, and I remember doing my research on them. And sitting there, and I thought I was hallucinating when I read that <laughs> about the two chairmen. They just, they just, it was like they just um, got up and just swapped seats, and that was it. And I was kind of like, that can't be right. And I, I, kept, I I'm not joking. I think it was for days, about three or four days or, or nights. I kept like reading over it, making sure that I was reading it right. But it, it, that's what happened. Um, I got an interview with a Turkish lad who. who said that they're not uh they're a club that other Turkish clubs look at in kind of weirdly. <laughs> I don't think that's the way to say. Yeah, that was one story that really, really did uh, jump out at me and it's one that's kinda of hard to explain because people look at me and go, Ah, you got it wrong. There's no way that happened. And I'm like, it did go go read about it. After this chat you've all made me feel a lot better about Todd Burley and Chelsea. I just hope that they're not going to be appearing in the next volume or on the podcast no. anytime soon. <laughs> Listen, I mean, there's so much in the book. The podcast as well. I mean, it, it's a great listen. The, you're right, the CF Royce, is that how you pronounce it? The Spanish yeah. team is Reyes. amazing. Reyes, Reyes. And then there's the Finnish team that is now Finnish as well. Add me, add me balling. But people, you've got, to, you've got to go and check out the podcast. You have to pick up the book because it is just so interesting. And hopefully today's giving everybody a taste of that. Tom, we don't let guests go without asking them one last question, do we? Yeah, so we always like to ask our guests the same question. I'm going to give you both the opportunity to answer. So we always ask guests if you could pick a fantasy combination of any footballer from any era with any football kit from any club, any era, what would be the combination you choose? I'll let Rory go first there. Go on, Rory. (laughs) (laughs) I know this one. This is easy. Uh, Diego Maradona in the 2000-2001 Celtic shirt with the NTL sponsor. Strong answer that. Uh, I think about that quite a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Di Stefano of Real Madrid wearing the gold Liverpool Carlsberg jersey. You know the one that uh, in the FA Cup final. 
win Liverpool beat Arsenal two one, simply because um I, I I don't like Michael Owen anymore because uh, he went to United, <laughs> but uh, also my dad is a huge Arsenal fan. And I had that jersey, and when Liverpool beat Arsenal in that cup final, he threw it out. But luckily, uh, I was able to uh, find it again, and uh, I bought it. And I remember walking into the house, she was like, where did you get that? And I wear it every time Liverpool play Arsenal, like just there, I wear it every time, just to remind them. But uh, Di Stefano, uh, look, uh, I could talk about him all day. I think he's he's one of my favourite players. Personally, I don't think he gets talked about enough. I think Pele, Maradona, rightly so, you know, are, are top of the tree. But Di Stefano, stuff he done with Real Madrid was unreal. Rory Philip, thanks ever so much for joining us. Really, really enjoyed that. We'll share obviously the links to the uh, to the podcast and to the book and, and what have you in our socials when this goes out. But thanks for joining us. Cheers, lads. Yeah, thanks Hello. very much for having. Me. It's been great. Well, that was an interesting one, Adam. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it's it's always fascinating. I mean, I don't know that much about Italian football. We'll leave that to AD. But a lot of their clubs have folded, haven't they? And they seem to have a lot of uh, financial issues. I think some of the bigger ones, like the Phoenix clubs, things like that, with uh, Palermo going into uh, administration. And obviously Fiorentina did it as well, didn't they? They were a completely different team at one point, changed their name and then came back. And then Chievo Verona as well. And yeah, it's it's fascinating, the precarious nature of Italian football, I think. It is, it is. It's interesting. My favourite story from that feature was the Irish club, though. Such a quick rise and fall. Um, that obviously is a bit of a nice layer when you don't quite see it happen like that. But one of the interesting things that I think comes out of it is is for us as shirt collectors as well. Do either of you have shirts from clubs that have either folded and moved on? I mean, I've I've got one from a particularly new club in history, which is a Rangers shirt. Um, But do you guys have anything? You're going to get abuse. (laughs) I know. I might edit that out. (laughs) I won't. I won't. Leave it in. (laughs) I don't don't think I have many. I don't. I would have to to look um, back. But didn't... um, the same thing happened, but do you guys remember Gretna up in Scotland? Mm-hmm. That they got they got a rich owner and they were flying through the divisions and then just out of nowhere they were like door shut. That was it. Dream was over. It's amazing. You think of the infrastructure and the amount of staff and things that they have and clubs are just constantly it's a it's a frequent thing that you know, administration and stuff that's happening all the time. It's it's crazy to think that you could get yourself so established and then just drop off the face of the earth. Again, it's that balancing act, isn't it? And with football, so much of it is dependent on what happens on the pitch and all it takes is a bad run, a relegation, and then suddenly you're stuck in a situation where you're paying players too much money, you've got too much staff and the money isn't coming in. So, yeah, it it can be a little bit scary. But then you get situations like Gretna where someone comes in, throws some money about, and then suddenly that money disappears and they are stuck in a situation where they're like actually we are a smaller club a very small club we're fucked (laughs) like how do you get back out of that like you can't really do too much um but to answer your question mike uh, the only shirt i know that i own of a team that don't exist anymore is a team called hockton afc that i played for when i was a kid that i still have the sunday league shirt for were you a um, a classy central midfielder by any chance? 
Uh, no, I, I, I was, believe it or not, I was not a, a Poundland midfielder. Um, I was a, as my dad would say, right back in the changing room, but I was a, a Gary Neville uh, growing up, a tiny, weaselly little man running up on the, <laughs> from right back. So speaking about, the, the, this is a sidestep, but just speaking about positions. So they have this thing in Shetland called the weather wing. And pretty much what it is, is that if you are shit at football, they play you on the weather wing, which is mean you play, you play the upside of where the wind is coming from so that the ball <laughs> never comes to you. Because that always gets blown to the other wing. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, yeah, it, as I said, I mean, I think that the, the, the feature was good. I think the shirts thing i have racked my brains i can't think of any that i legitimately have from clubs that don't exist anymore but i know that some people out there actually specifically go out of their way to collect these shirts don't they so yeah there's obviously a market for them so yeah good so i think to you finish could, oh carry on i was just gonna say you could probably have a really good collection of clubs that don't exist anymore and countries that don't exist anymore because Eastern Europe has changed dramatically in, yeah, that, uh, in the, in the course of our lifetime. You know, yeah. Yugoslavia and places like that, Bosnia, all these different. So you could have clubs that don't exist in countries that don't exist anymore. Yeah, that is true. I think one of the things possibly we might be overlooking as well is MLS clubs, because obviously a lot of the early ones uh, yeah. kind of were... were died and reborn and some just went completely but yeah yes good stuff right anyway that's it for today uh we got some good stuff coming up scott do you know anything about it all or shall i tell everybody i think that you should tell everybody (laughs) (laughs) i thought you might say that to be honest with you we got a lot of stuff in the pipeline as always we've got uh records going on all the time we've got a lot of things set um we're just literally getting people on the mic and getting their voice recorded to bring to you so we're still working incredibly hard and i think i think we might start our next poll soon for another another ttko top 20 so we'll have a little think between us about what we want to do and and get one of those going so yeah or possibly a bottom 20 possibly a bottom 20 that that i that was quite a popular suggestion when we talked about it people like talking about shirts that are shit so yeah, we'll just have to try and limit it to 20. I've got a feeling there'll be more nominations for the shit shirts than there were for the good ones, to be honest. But, <laughs> hey, right. Thanks a lot, guys. I think we should wrap it up there. So any chance you're going to say it this week, Scott? Since Eddie's not here, I've decided to absolutely fucking not say it. I knew, I knew you were going to go down that road. So <laughs> they think it's all over. It is noy. That was me, that was me trying to be Scottish. Oh, I, I, I was going to say Southern Southern Northern Ireland. <laughs> and that is absolutely staying in. Northern Irish Poundland pep. <laughs> This pod is so much better without AD on it, isn't it? It is. Should we, like, mutiny? Should we just get rid of him? Yeah, chop the cunt. Brilliant. (laughs) I'll I'll change all the passwords tonight.